everybody and welcome back. This is Jeremy Coleman with his third episode of Jeremy Takes on HIT. And <clears throat> this is uh, just a little update here at the beginning. We we'll, are uh, have a bunch of different options now for your podcast interest, whatever is easier for you. Just a reminder that we're on iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, TuneIn. Uh, it's even possible to listen to it on a smart speaker. I at least tried it out this past week on my Alexa-enabled speaker, and it worked pretty good. It wasn't the easiest thing in the world, but uh, if it's something that makes it easier for you, it's something that you can do. Pr- the way that I did it was through my Alexa app, so that's definitely something that's a that's an option. So this is the uh, third podcast, as I uh, mentioned at the beginning. So yes, it it does kind of seem real now, at least for me. Uh, I also realize that I probably need to take a step up and invest in some uh, equipment, like a real microphone, instead of my uh, Campbell soup can that I'm using currently. Uh, So I appreciate your patience from an audio quality standpoint. We're going to try to see what we can do to make that a little bit better. So if you're new to the podcast, uh, I'd like to thank you for giving... Give me a try. Uh, there's there's two other episodes to to go and listen to if this is interesting for you. If you're a returning listener, thank you for um, your patience as well. Uh, again, uh, this is a uh, this is an evolution, and hopefully, uh, we're we're uh, evolving towards uh, towards tools and 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 uh, getting a little bit better. I don't know if we've uh, found fire yet or not, but uh, we're somewhere on that evolutionary chain. So the format for this, uh, if you're new, is we're going to take a couple of different stories from this uh, previous week that ended uh, May 4th. Uh, So uh, all the implied Star Wars uh, nerddom puns that you can throw in there. But we're going to talk about two stories in three different ways. So the first way is is just the facts. We're just going to tell you what happened or educate you in a very straightforward way. Secondly, I'm going to tell you why you should care. Uh, Give you at least who should be thinking about this, who should be looking at kind of what's going on, why this is important. Maybe define a little bit about who the you are in that. And then the last one is my favorite because it's my take on HIT. Uh, Basically, my view as far as why this is is newsworthy, why this is something that's a larger trend in the uh, ecosystem of of healthcare IT. Uh, One other uh, thing that I'm not going to talk about this week that's interesting to see is this is now... The health conference is going on in Vegas. Started on Sunday, and uh, we'll see kind of what's going on. There's a lot of people that are around healthcare IT that are noting the uh, new entrants into the industry are there and heavily participating. We'll see what the outcome of it is. We'll see kind of what uh, the the larger impact is, and and it'll be interesting to see if if Hems has. A, uh, a response to anything that's going on, or some kind of uh, of out, outcropping or outgrowth from this from this conference.
All right. So uh, let's kind of just get into this and jump into our first story, which is about blockchain. So uh, <clears throat> there was a story that I caught around analytics uh, talking about blockchain, and there was this other the company. I'm, I don't. I didn't even really look. The company I don't think is is all that important. I think the story is more around blockchain is a technology so let's kind of dig into that so uh, blockchain is a uh, technology that is a database type so typically there's kind of two primary players I think within health IT today there is SQL and relational and there's no SQL which is non-relational so uh, in, a, in a programming mind or in a mathematical kind of context think arrays so now there's a third technology now called blockchain. Uh, you will uh, probably more readily associate blockchain with cryptocurrencies uh, like Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is kind of the, uh, a newer generation of cryptocurrencies, so it's but it exists on that blockchain. It's a distributed ledger. Uh, is kind of what they're talking about where, where no single repository encapsulates the entire database. So these transactions are uh, packaged in blocks, hence the name, and then linked together. There's the chain. Uh, and then across the network, people keep a part of the data, and then they're all linked together. It's meant to be more secure. It's meant to be more fraud resistant, and there's also much more audit trail. So, as the, you look at uh, blockchain as a technology, a lot of people are touting that as something that can be a disruptor inside of healthcare technology. People are looking at blockchain as possibly being a mechanism for patients to maintain and curate their data and basically be the gatekeeper for who and what has their data uh, out there in, uh, in in the network or in the internet so that's pretty I mean that's that's probably a very high level uh, definition of blockchain uh, who are the people really that should necessarily care uh, about blockchain its disruption in the uh, in the ecosystem what it's going to do, what are the uses, how are you going to touch or, or be exposed to blockchain. You know, and I think in reality it's going to be fairly transparent as people bring new solutions to um, to the world. I, you know, if you think about kind of the cloud and a lot of the mystery and, and, and wonder of what the cloud represented, that that's going to be uh, kind of the similar thing is is that for the end user you may or may not know that you're using blockchain so there's it's going to be kind of a harder uh, understanding of what the direct impact is going to be but but if you're an end user or if you're really related to a technology company it's probably the group that's going to be more interested in the advancements or the evolution of blockchain other industries obviously are using blockchain I mean financial services cryptocurrencies that's basically what uh, the the main users and and the the inventors and the and the early adopters of blockchain is around that, and because healthcare technology and financial technology are so closely linked, uh, if you think about um, cachet and inter systems around mumps, uh, those are the two main industries that basically use 
that database type, which is a, a NoSQL um, kind of group member of that family. Uh, so that's why if some things that happen in financial uh, industries from an architecture or technologies type, that's why the, the people try to naturally flow it over into healthcare. Uh, and another, probably the last reason why you should care, pretty much regardless of who you are uh, in this in this industry, is that you could be uh, working with, sharing data with, exposed to um, third parties or partners that are using blockchain. And so I think that you need to understand the, uh, the, the reality and the, the uh, composition of blockchain for you to kind of get a, a good sense and to at least be educated enough to ask the right questions when you're out there and, and dealing with with other entities that are going to be storing data that you are either capturing or responsible for or you know what have you because you know as you look at uh, the, the landscape and how really um, the the business model of healthcare is changing you know we talk about fee-for-service going away and pulling in fee-for-value and then you talk about shared risk and ACOs you know, all of that that's going to be made possible is going to be through greater data sharing. And so if you're talking about getting data from someone, sharing data to some, with somebody, then what they use is relevant to what, uh, you know, kind of partnerships you're going to get into. So definitely, you know, nobody is, I don't think there's a requirement out there for you to become a blockchain expert. But just to kind of be aware of what are the issues, what are the um, what are the realities today with blockchain, I think are important for basically everybody to know. So the the this kind of leads me into the take end of this is that. Um, we talk about blockchain is currently used in cryptocurrencies. So what's kind of the history of cryptocurrencies? I think that's something that's, that's probably relevant here. If, if you, somebody's touting this new technology that you need to be aware of and need to be taking advantage of, then let's talk about how it's being used. Let's talk about some of the pluses and minuses to that. So blockchain is sold as a solution with this distributed database that's going to make it much harder to hack. Okay. So let's test that um, supposition. You've got Bitcoin is probably the most famous cryptocurrency. There's a thousand out there now. Uh, you know they're they're all over the place. I think it's pretty much um, hard for I think anybody to really say that there is any sort of market differentiation. I think Bitcoin has some sort of retail stake on that that is at least the most popular. People know about it. I, I don't know that anybody's never heard of it. I don't know how many. I don't know anybody necessarily that has Bitcoin or use, rather uses Bitcoin. I think that's probably the more comp more. Uh, um, important distinction is, is who uses it. I mean, you could have it, but I don't necessarily know how easy it is to use it. Uh, people in Silicon Valley may may be a little bit different, but out out in the rest of, of America, I don't necessarily know anybody that's buying a Big Mac with Bitcoin. Uh, so there was a, uh, an early adopter or early cryptocurrency trading company called Mt. Gox 
that was hacked and shut down in one day uh, because of a security lapse in Bitcoin. Or it's not in Bitcoin, I'm sorry, in, in their blockchain. So, I, I, you know, and I'm sure that if you talk to people that are much more aware of the ins and outs and that are uh, definitely evangelists for, uh, for blockchain can, can tell you all the security measures that have been added or uh, increased uh, and how the difference now between what the uh, established or at least responsible cryptocurrency markets are or how they're not another Mt. Gox. And obviously, you know, and, and candidly, I could tell you I don't know of another one other than that, um, I would say, though, that if your claim to fame is that you are more uh, secure and easier or less easy to hack uh, than uh, another standard technology that's out there, uh, then you turn around and have one of the more infamous uh, financial losses. You know, it's, I, I think it's going to be hard, kind of hard to recover from that. So, you know, it's definitely something that, that people should be asking and there should be demonstrable uh, data out there because here's the other side of this is that blockchain certainly lives with a certain um, kind of anonymity, uh, not within the technical circle, but, you know, it's kind of like how in the early 90s or, or excuse me, in the 90s, but maybe in the early 2000s, how... Uh, Mac OS claimed that it was so much more secure than Windows. Yeah, until it got to be a critical mass of market share, and then all of a sudden you started seeing more and more uh, viruses put out there around the Linux kernel and things like that. So, you know, once once cryptocurrencies and blockchain reaches a certain critical mass, I think you're going to see a lot more attention paid to it. So, yeah, you can address the the holes that that Mount Gox exposed, but I don't necessarily know that there's a um, a maturity within the technology to handle being a prime time player. Now, if you want to be in an early adopter and put this in a non-mission critical solution and kind of test it out and see how it's going, I mean, go for it. But it, it to me, it, it's not the way the trend of the market is going. I mean, if you look at what are the reasons that people are putting solutions in the cloud, I mean, it's because it's not your core competency. You don't want to run a, uh, a data center. If you're whether you're a healthcare facility, whether you're a software manufacturer, you know what, whatever your your line may be, you are offloading non-critical pieces of your business to cheaper uh, organizations that can use an economy of scale and duplicate basically or even exceed what you're able to do internally. So now you're going to all of a sudden go into the database market and try to um, you know deep down dive down deep enough to use blockchain I you know I don't think that it's it's totally a um, a nonsensical topic it's certainly something probably worth bringing up I think it's probably getting a little bit more attention than it's really warranted at this point in time it's just not a mature technology it hasn't proven out a business problem that it's solving that SQL or no SQL can't handle uh, and I don't necessarily know that um, that you necessarily want to address security issues with a totally new t database solution. So, you know, I think that's, that's you know, the whole summation of the take is that, you know, we'll see blockchain go go off, you know, have your 80s music montage of, of training in the gym grow up a little bit, 
and then uh, come back when you've got a larger tool set and then we'll see how you fit in the uh, in the ecosystem other than that I think uh, the reality is you know most of the people that tout blockchain within the market are people that are <clears throat> trying to sell you something so I think that that's something just to be aware of not saying that that there's anything nefarious but uh, you just have to, to kind of not get sucked in and I think that's probably where we are in the age of healthcare IT is that the the market is so mature the EHR market in particular is so mature that you've got uh, an age of con consolidation where we are in the business cycle is certainly in you know a shakeout phase and so people are looking for a differentiator within their solution and 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 gimmicky and I think that's appropriate gimmicky technology is not um, the way to be a differentiator as a if you are a consumer you know if there's a specific problem that somebody's solving with a new technology you know let's evaluate that but just to do declare that uh, this is a, something people need to, to, to jump on is not um, it's, it's not a good expenditure of money and, and you know I think that you're going to see healthcare buyers um, circle back around to an ROI maybe I think you know 10 years ago people beat that ROI uh, formula to death and to where it just meant nothing uh, but uh, I think that's something where you may see us cycle back around to where you have to really prove with dollars and cents and maybe even have people willing to to um, not testify but at least um, account for be willing to to be a reference for a lot of those uh, ROI claims that you're making so I, I you know as the boy in the Simpsons says um, just stop it stop it he's already dead so we're gonna quit beating on that horse take just a break and then uh, come right back to our second story. Welcome back. Let's get going again and talk about our next uh, story of the week that was May 4th. 2018. Uh, just a reminder, Mother's Day is this Sunday, so don't forget Mama. Um, she certainly uh, is thinking about you. Alright, so the second story we have today is about Mayo's Go Live that was Saturday and what the impact of that is kind of in the larger market, but then also just to kind of take a look at the micro level and let's see what the impact uh, is is for for Mayo, uh, the the mother Mayo in Rochester, Minnesota. So there was an article out there talking to the CIO of Mayo, Christopher Ross, and there was just kind of a Q and A, and I, I cherry picked a few things out of here that I thought were pretty good. Uh, certainly go out there and Google that and find more about it, and uh, if you want to look at more. So Epic uh, is the vendor of choice for, for Mayo and their implementation. They have already implemented a couple of their satellite hospitals, and now this is the big go live in, in Rochester. 
as uh, terms of cost, uh, Epic is spending 1.5 billion dollars with my pinky up. That is in the same vein as the DoD's uh, 4.3 billion dollar contract with Cerner. Uh, close, not necessarily akin to the 16 billion dollar VA contract that Cerner is begging and pleading and hoping and wishing uh, they'll sign with the VA. They uh, took a hit in their stock price a little bit uh, because their first quarter revenue didn't quite match because they're in a uh, in a hopes to try to get the VA to finish up and put ink to paper. So they were asking uh, CIO Ross you know some specifics about the uh, the project itself right here as it was ready to go live you know asking what you know what was this justification for the the, the price tag because one billion dollars is is a lot of money um, you know I think that there's probably not very many companies in America that spend a billion dollars on IT or as an IT budget period so this is you know even within the the macro industrial environment of America this is a, a large project and a large expenditure you know kind of uh, what the question is what's what was driving that uh, and the answer was around uh, there's a lot of high complexity I think you said there was around 400 specialties and subspecialties involved uh, with at uh, at Mother Mayo uh, they, you know so you think about that how many people were involved in the project around 460 members and they ended up training around 26,000 people that work in Rochester so that's 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 a lot of folks I, I did the math that's a ratio of around 50 to 1 it will be interesting to see uh, how that compares to the VA contract um, you know, if you're looking at how many resources, what we didn't hear is how many resources Epic had committed. That would that would be interesting to me. Uh, also said that uh, Epic, I mean, uh, Mayo spent a lot of time and money. Not all of that billion dollars is going to Epic. They spent a lot of time and money writing code themselves, which is very interesting to me. There wasn't a lot of detail around that. I'm sure. Uh, to hear about uh, what Mayo is doing to um, fill the gaps and some of the uh, shortcomings around the EPIC EHR, how to match all the specialty workflows within Mayo. Uh, I, and I can't imagine what the Mayo referral workflow is like since they take uh, referrals, I guess, virtually worldwide, um, you know, at least uh, nationwide. Uh, and so uh, one of the there was a separate article put in the uh, Rochester paper that I kind of want to throw in here towards the end and it, it, it's something you'll hear about more and I think it speaks to a larger topic and I'll, I'll so let's uh, just like their self checkout registers at Target now and self check in at the airport. Mayo is introducing 51 patient check-in kiosks at the Rochester campus. Now I imagine 
the vast majority of that is going to be in their ambulatory clinics because 51 is a lot but that's going to be something to to take note of it's going to be something that uh, that you'll hear more about in just a minute so that th those are the facts um, the assumption is that everything went right I haven't seen anything at uh, up until the time of this recording um, that uh, there was any sort of uh, huge issue but um, so apparent so uh, you know until there's contradictory evidence epic is now live at mother mayo so why should you care I mean this is just a simple EHR project one of the most humdrum things that you can think about within healthcare IT going live at a hospital yes it's a big hospital yes it's an important hospital it's a nice nice logo that all the the vendors affiliated with Mayo Clinic love to, to show nice little feather in the quiver or arrow in the quiver now for these vendors but but why do you care if you don't work at Mayo or you don't work at Epic I think that you should care because this speaks to a larger EHR trend um, of you know just more and more uh, hospitals and facilities choosing within a very small subset of the EHR market I think that there we've reached probably peak consolidation within the EHR market I think all the people that are surviving now are, are have going to have made it somehow some way I, you know there may be one or two more consolidations but I mean you're starting to get to airline level uh, consolidation where there's only the big to eat the big left and and so we'll see how how large the market really is but I think uh, you know the players that are left are the niche players or ha they're not niche players let me take that back the players that are left have a niche in the market so they have they have a market that they go after it also talks to a trend in consolidations of healthcare systems and in, in that so as hospitals get larger these projects get larger these these uh, EHR projects get bigger and more and more complicated more and more risk because of the com complexity of these projects so something to keep in, in line of as you work for a facility that gets larger as you work for facilities that combine and consolidate every new IT project is going to become more and more critical because it's a it, it's going to be more and more expensive so that's where managing the size managing the complexity of these projects becomes more and more critical the other thing that you should be aware and this is going to be you know back to that last fact is these patient check-in kiosk one of the things that I think um, healthcare has been somewhat insulated from in these market downturns uh, at least within you know 2008 2009 healthcare was pretty insulated uh, you look at um, high-tech act through a bunch of money into the market then you look at ACA through a bunch of money into the market or at least covered a lot more people so that that kind of helped facilities maintain a little bit more the consolidation has uh, strengthened some weaker players within the market and and, and so that's helped uh, organizations kind of remain stable but uh, this patient check-in kiosk at Mayo 
is is a foreshadow of automation that's going on out through the economy and, and I'm again economics disclaimer you tuned into this for healthcare IT but there's going to be some economics at least here at the end so that's something to kind of be aware of so who should, who are who are the people that are going to be caring about this well if you work in healthcare facilities you should care if you work for an EHR you should care uh, and if you work for these third-party kind of ecosystem uh, systems you should you this should be you know ringing a bell looking around Mayo put in a lot of code to adjust to some things in Epic that didn't meet their needs so that's to me that's you know there there are so paying attention that means something that's significant so now to my take one of the things that we just got through talking about in this last story is people are outsourcing and going to the cloud really slimming down getting tighter on their organization you know that's the trend IT departments are really slimming down in fact CIO the eye and information is really changing a lot of the trendy things now is you don't have a chief information officer anymore you have a chief innovation officer and so what does that mean it means that your CI, your information officer is trying to get out of the break fix server admin business he's not he's not your chief nerd on staff he wants to get into uh, more on the clinical data side analytics where are we going be sort of a visionary and and really help guide the infrastructure from a, a super high level and and look at a strategy uh, and and where are where should we be going um, from a technology standpoint so what Mayo has done and, and you know we just have to call it out Mayo's going in the opposite direction Mayo is going into the EHR business Mayo has made their own custom EHR now Epic is going to support them but the support that Epic is going to provide is going to be very limited and I would you know it would be interesting to to hear kind of where the support cuts off and what epic is going to say is we're going to support code we generated we can help you probably you know by the hour on how your code interacts with our code but one thing that mayo has now bought into is that upgrading is going to be a bear it's never going to be easy anymore for them to bring in any externally created code without significant testing Mayo is in the software business so you know that's just a reality and that bucks the trend of, of what of what you were seeing you know it's it's hard for uh, certain entities you know whether we call them the have not have have nots or whether you know however you want to look at it it's going to be hard for healthcare facilities to employ technology people you know especially as you look at more automation you look at more um, changes in the market programmers are not going to be less in demand 
Now, is the market going to produce more coders? Probably so. Are we going to meet? Are we going to produce the coders to meet the demand? I doubt it. So, instead of offloading that risk as a customer and going into a lot of these outsourced uh, SaaS solutions, uh, Mayo is, is firmly marching in that opposite direction. How's that? What's that going to be? I have no idea. You know, is that was that the best option for them? We're going to find out. Uh, you know, there's a lot of big hospitals in America that uh, have, you know, close to the same prestige as Mayo that went live with, with Epic and had a huge hit to their bottom line. So it's something I think the rest of America is certainly going to look for and see what the uh, next quarter or what I think we've seen in reality is that sometimes it takes six to nine months to get over an Epic Go Live. You know, I think Mayo has the advantage of going live at some smaller institutions to know what the impact is going to be to their AR days, what it's going to be to their revenue coming in the door. I mean, so we'll just see. You know, that'll be interesting to find out. I don't know that it will be as widely advertised as their billion-dollar go-live of Epic. You know, you may have to kind of dig a little bit deeper uh, to get uh, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So we'll just have to... Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll try to keep track and see what happens. You know, the other question to this is, is this architecture of a solution that Mayo has chosen, is it is it really sustainable? You know, there's a there was another article published by the local paper that said that Rochester put in a new substation to support all the new servers that Mayo is going live with. That's a little interesting. You know, you would... Uh, think that we're in a, an area, especially with Moore's Law, as machines are more and more powerful, you know, that uh, it's interesting that they're putting in more servers and enough servers to have the uh, electrical grid kind of have to make an adjustment. That's, um, that's interesting there. Uh, you know, that's something to track, something to look at. So uh, what's, what's going to be the outcome? Is it going to take more people to manage this? custom EHR? Is it going to be more efficient? What what problems is, is Mayo solving with with this uh, custom version of Epic? That, that's something that I think that we should try to, try to find out and see how successful that is. And then one of the things that I think that's it's worth tracking is uh, you've got definitely some some economic uh, forces pushing Mayo to change their staffing. They're not going to go live with these 51 patient check-in kiosks if their thought process is that they are not going to have fewer registration people within their organization. Now I'll say this, admission discharge and transfer data via HL7 ADT is the most ubiquitous and uh, troublesome data within the data set. I mean, you have an enterprise master patient index that does nothing but try to reconcile different um, systems within demographics in itself. And typically, registration people are some of the lowest paid people within a hospital uh, structure. 
and so therefore you know since it's supply and demand you pay you get what you pay for typically demographics data coming out of registration has issues now there's a lot of code out there that tries to reconcile that you know so definitely I think these kiosks are a way to get that data more reliably to get that data cheaper and to be able to um, leverage a lot of technology that's out there now there's a lot of ways that I've talked about out in Twitter how you could uh, get the registration process through quicker I think you know speed to registration is going to be something that they deal with but I you know these kiosks are a short-term measure you know it's not it doesn't take a rocket scientist to think that Mayo can just put a registration app out there on uh, in the ecosystem that allows people to check in with their phones with an app on their phone you know it's that's not that's not complicated uh, and, it, and you know it, I imagine that this is a half measure with these kiosks in order to kind of see what the appetite is for their patient population coming in the door to uh, use technology and kind of a un um, or a non-human touch but you know this is the reality is as you know the living wage conversation Minnesota certainly has you know a progressive um, legislature and progressive state government so this is certainly a way for you to control cost on the back end so you know as you look at the bottom line of Mayo you know they're already you know taking measures basically to try to account for increased technology costs so where are we going to cut costs somewhere you know within a hospital labor is your is your you know one of your second or third largest expenditures so if you can do uh, workflow automation and get better data capture you know it's definitely a win-win from a process standpoint but it's also an impact and I wonder how what the impact is going to be to the morale of the facility as automation comes in and starts replacing people where are you going to see that next um, you know I don't necessarily know within their pharmacy if they have a robot that fills um, carts or fills uh, the unit dose packager but that's another place where you've seen a lot of workflow automation inside the pharmacy to a lesser extent you have it within the lab but I mean that's going to be something that's going to hit you know reality pretty quickly and it'll be definitely interesting to track that all right well I think uh, I think we're gonna wind it down right here as we uh, try to meet our obligation to you the listener to do this in less than an hour uh, I, I once again want to thank you for for coming in taking a, uh, a seat and listening to me uh, talk at you for a while I uh, hope you found this interesting uh, if you did or did not if I'm missing something if I'm just you know dumber than dirt let me know you can contact me at uh, Twitter on Twitter uh, at Jeremy Coleman Coleman like the camp stove so it's not uh, I'm not hard to find uh, leave me a comment tell me what you like if there's something that you want to hear about let me know about that too we may uh, we may have some bonus segments or bonus podcast in the middle of a week if somebody really wants to hear more about something uh, that uh, I may have brushed over or something that I'm, I'm avoiding uh, just altogether. So I, I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up here. Uh, I, I, my time is up, and I thank you for yours. <laughs>